0: Someday I'm going to just stand up after that song and just say the benediction. Um, This is not that day. (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. If you're following along, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Galatians. If you'd like to follow in your Bible, we'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, you can find the text in your order of worship, or you can use your phone or anything else you'd like. And so I say to you, hear the word of God. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came back, came from James, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray for those uh, of us who are recovering Pharisees, that you would uh, continue to work the gospel deep into our hearts, that we would not be hypocrites anymore, that we would not be fearful anymore, but in fact, we would be free. I pray for myself that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name, we pray these things, amen and Amen. So several years ago, probably hmm, maybe 15 years ago now, uh, I was working for Eli Lilly, and my partner and I, um, I forget what we won, he's here, I'm not going to ask you, (laughs) Uh, we we basically won, it was like a quota trip or something, and Eli Lilly was trying to, to sort of rein in things like that, and so they came to us and said, hey, we know you earned this reward, but we've got something better for you. And we're like, awesome. What we're going to let you two do is go to the American Psycho- Psychiatric uh, Association Convention in Atlanta and stand at our booth all week. <laughs> and it gets better. It's in June in Atlanta. And because of that, we've ordered for you these fancy black sweaters for you to wear. <laughs> I, I'm not, I can't make this up. So we, we, Bryce and I went to Atlanta In June, and when we went to, you know, if you want to talk about feeling foolish, put a black sweater on in Atlanta in June and walk around the streets. And guess what? They were hot and they were miserable. And I said, ooh, if I see anyone in charge, I'm asking, what's the deal with these black sweaters? And my partner, as he often would do, said, Tommy, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. And I'm like, all right, I won't say anything. Immediately, the vice president of neuroscience walks in, his name is Grady, and he said, how are y'all doing, big guy? And everyone's like, oh, we're good, sir, we're good, sir. I'm good, a little hot. <laughs> he's like, yeah? And I, <laughs> I said, can I ask you a question? And he's like, sure, son. And I said, whose idea was it for us to wear black sweaters in the middle of Atlanta in June? Everyone was quiet, crickets. He was quiet. And then he burst out laughing. And he said, that is pretty stupid, isn't it? And I said, "Mm." (laughs) thought I'd ask. He blamed it on the Europeans, by the way. (laughs) He said the Europeans scheduled all this. And so we took him off. And it was like great for the rest of the week. At least we weren't dying of heat exhaustion. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever had to confront someone important? Most people don't. Have you ever had to? Right? What did you feel like when you did that? Or did you, did you, is it just come naturally to you? Or did you have to sort of steal yourself and, you know, make some notes and go in there? I'll be honest with you, especially those who know me well, it's a curse that I have. I almost can't help but saying what I think. And when I read the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul, it warms my heart, because it looks like I'm not the only one. Paul, the the Apostle Paul, especially in this book of Galatians, we see him having to do confrontation after confrontation after confrontation, and it's not because he's unloving. It's because he cares about people, and he is concerned about the gospel, The whole book of Galatians, in and of itself, is one big confrontation. He is confronting a whole church about their view of the gospel and how they're starting to miss it. If you remember, some people had come along in Galatia, and Paul had planted the churches and said, here's what it takes to be a Christian, trust Jesus and nothing else. And people had come along and said, well, you know, that's cool, Paul's okay, Uh, but really it's trust Jesus plus circumcision or trust Jesus plus doing certain works of the law. If you wanna be sure that you're saved, do those things. And Paul confronts the whole church, that's what this letter is. We saw last week that Paul actually confronted all of the apostles. Of course, he wasn't willing to throw them that bone, he just was willing to confront those who seemed important. Remember, he confronted them, he brought Titus with them and said, okay, I heard you guys wanted to talk about circumcision, here's my friend Titus, An uncircumcised Greek. So what do you want to say? And remember, he said that they added nothing, that that the apostles added nothing to him. They didn't make Titus get circumcised. I always say this. If you don't know what circumcised is, Google it later. Um, If you're 13 or over, maybe, (laughs) if not, ask your parents. But either way, they didn't make him do that. So on one hand, they solved the problem there of orthodoxy. In other words, what we're going to see in today's passage is, is a disconnect between what theologians would call orthodoxy and orthopraxy. In other words, orthodoxy is, is straight, ortho means straight, like an orthodontist, straight thinking or straight worship, and orthopraxy means straight or correct practice. And so they figured out orthodoxy. Okay, so the apostles and Paul agreed that it's Jesus plus nothing. They didn't add anything to me. Now, what they didn't determine, apparently, in that meeting was orthopraxy. How does this work itself out? In other words, does does this decision affect what I bring to the church potluck? And you see, in Jerusalem, they'd say, of course it doesn't. We're all Jewish here. It doesn't matter. Well, Antioch was quite different. You see, the question that that is going to come up today is, what is the outworking of the gospel in a mixed-race church? In a church where not everyone uh, believes the same things culturally, even though they believe the same things uh, with regard to the gospel, what's the outworking of that? As you can imagine, it's it's pretty relevant to to our church. More and more, our church is becoming a mixed-race church. That's a great thing. I was, uh, you know, I think probably probably 15 out of the last 20 or or 30 members have not been white. That's awesome. But that also, also causes problems. Not bad problems, but how do, how, what's the outworking of the gospel when different people think different things, right? For Jews, eating was a, was a cultural event, and, and, and it was a way to show their obedience to God. Gentiles, they could care less. So, what do you bring to, you know, can you bring anything you want to supper? Who knows? that's what happened here. Paul ends up having to to confront not only the whole church, he not only confronts the apostles, but in today's passage, he actually has to confront the greatest of all the apostles, or at least the most famous of all the apostles, and that's Peter himself. How'd you like to have to do that? Notice that today's text started with a but. He said, took care of all that stuff with Titus and all that stuff clarifying the gospel, but in Antioch, Peter was doing everything backwards. I had to confront him to his face because he stood condemned. So we're going to look at two things today. Sorry, it's Memorial Day. It's a holiday weekend, so you get only two instead of three points. Um, (laughs) So the points we're going to look at this morning are basically uh, two things, Peter's problem and Paul's solution. So I'm trying to keep it as simple as I can. So Peter's problem and Paul's solution. So notice Peter's problem. Let me read you the first couple verses again. said, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So, If Jerusalem was the the center of the Jewish church, right, all the people who had become Christians were Jews first, center of the Jewish church, Antioch was the center of the Gentile church. In fact, uh, historians estimate that maybe only 10% of the church in Antioch was Jewish. And so you had all these Gentiles, and we know also just from uh, the book of Acts that the leadership in the book of Acts Antioch. The, the leadership in Antioch was diverse. We know there was at least one uh, leader from Africa. We know there were leaders uh, from the Mediterranean. We know there were leaders from Jerusalem. And so there was very diverse leadership. Um, Jewish people were there. Gentiles were there. And remember, I told you that Jews, for them, eating was a big thing. And, and who you ate with was a big thing. And so imagine. Peter goes to to Antioch and Peter has had this vision in Acts chapter 8 where God came and basically showed him all these unclean animals and he realized that all things were were clean and that that meant all people were clean as well. So Peter goes to Antioch and he says, what are we doing today? And they say, we're having a barbecue this afternoon, roasting a pig. And Peter goes, and he—I he, just imagine. I'm trying to imagine this here. Peter's sitting in, you know, a big, uh, multi-purpose room at the Antioch Church, and he's getting ready to just chomp down on a big old pulled pork sandwich. And people from the, the Jerusalem Party come in, and Peter's like, <laughs> and he puts it. He doesn't eat it, right? And he sort of the, the word it says Peter drew back here. It's 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 what the word connotes in Greek is sort of military retreat where he was just sort of he was sneaking out. So what's going on here? What's what's the problem here? Well, the problem is, number one, they had differences. There were differences of opinion in the church about different things. And how do we, most of the time, do we deal with differences in church? Spoiler alert, not well. Most of the time in church, when people have differences, we tend to moralize them. Right, so if take any number of things, right, like say so the issue of baptism, let's say that that I believe that you should baptize babies, which I do, and you don't believe I should baptize babies. Well, it's a tendency oftentimes in the church to think, well, that is a sin, right? You're 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 in sin if you do that, or you're in sin if you don't do that. Well, those are things the Bible's unclear, but we tend to moralize that. Think of something that's that's even less controversial than baptism, music in church. Right? Should we play organ all the time? Should we play drums all the time? Should we play hymns all the time? Should we do contemporary music all the time? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say so. It's probably going to surprise a lot of you. We've had fights in this church about that. People have gotten really angry about that. People have moralized those differences. So just so you know, in our church, basically the philosophy of worship is everybody suffers. <laughs> That's how we fix that. <laughs> you can either try and please everybody, try and please everyone, you, can, you please no one. But if you try and make everyone suffer, that actually works. Everyone suffers. The point is, is the only way to really deal with differences is through humility and actually thinking through, what am I willing to give up? What is, is, if the gospel's true, that means I have everything in Jesus. What What is actually okay for me to give up and, and God still loves me? And what, can, what am I willing to give up for the people around me? You know, I used to train a lot of church planners, and one of the training, one of the sessions I would do would be how to form a worship team and how to figure out how your worship style, what your style should be in any particular place in the country. And I would have them do this exercise. It Basically, it, it was three questions. Question number one was this, to the church planner, and you can do this yourself, by the way, um, what worship style do you prefer? What kind of music do you prefer in church? Do you prefer contemporary music, sort of rock sounding? Do you prefer just all hymns? What do you prefer? Simple question. Second question, think about where you live, and now ask yourself, what would be the best worship style? What would be the best music style, assuming all things are orthodox and and gospel-driven? what would be the best style to reach the people in your community? In other words, what style is going to best communicate to the people who don't know Jesus yet? And best communicate to the people who need to know Jesus? So, number one, what do you like? Number two, what's going to be the best, assuming that it's, it's, it's orthodox, to reach people? And if one and two don't match, what are you going to do about it? In other words, are you willing to sacrifice anything to see other people come to Jesus? A lot of times in church, we don't ever get to that point because all we're doing is we're fighting about whether it should be organ or whether it should be this, when in fact, if everyone was willing to say, you know what, what is it going to take in the context of the gospel, then you start moving forward. And, you know, I I write myself these notes that I make myself laugh, frankly. Uh, You you know, when people come and ask you, like, what do you love? What do you like about your church? What do you like about New Hope? Wouldn't it be great if everyone said, you know what I like about New Hope? I like the fact that they don't do anything that I like. I like the fact that they never pander to my whims, that they never you know, pander that what they're all about is they wanna see people come to Jesus, and that's what I want, and so I'm willing to be involved in that. So on one hand, you've got this issue. So what is Peter's issue here? What is his problem? Well, um, his ultimate problem we're gonna find is he doesn't really believe the gospel, at least in that moment. The first thing you're right. Paul calls him hypocrite. Notice what he says there. He says, "Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. He drew back." Verse 13. The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that Barnabas was even led astray by his hypocrisy. So, I'm going to let me read you this passage from a a Bible called the Cotton Patch Bible. I don't know if you ever heard that. There's a guy named Clarence Jordan back in the 60s, uh, when civil rights was really a, a big issue, and it's basically um, sort of like the message for racists, <laughs> or the message for southerners back in the 60s, and this is the passage from his, his version of the Bible. He says, when the rock, Peter, came to Atlanta, Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned before certain men from Jim arrived. He was eating with black folks, But when they came, he drew back and separated himself from them, fearing the segregationists. And the rest of the liberal white folks acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barney, Barnabas, was led astray by their hypocrisy. So, on one hand, Peter was a hypocrite. He he was acting one way, but his, his practice was something else. Or, on one hand, he would, he would live like a Gentile until Jewish people came around, and then he would act like he hadn't been living like a Gentile, like he was an obedient Jew. And Paul says, because of that, he's a hypocrite. And every, who hates hypocrites? Don't show your hands because everyone, everyone should raise them, but not really because you shouldn't really hate people, I guess. Who, who, <laughs> who struggles with hypocrites, right? All of us do. But at the end of the day, we are all hypocrites. Do we all live out the gospel exactly as we understand it to be? No, he says no. And he, he actually tells us the root of Peter's hypocrisy. Why is it that Peter was unable to live out the gospel the way he understood it to be? It's because Peter feared the circumcision party. Peter was afraid. Now, it's interesting to me. You're Peter. We think he was a pretty big guy. We know he, he was willing to voice his opinion. We, we, all these things. So why was Peter afraid of? What, was it, what were they going to do to him? hurt him? I don't think so. If I'm honest about the way I think about my own life, I think Peter was just afraid of the hassle. He was just afraid of having to go through another church conflict. He was afraid of having to explain himself again and all of these kinds of things. So rather than explain himself and deal with the hassle of these legalists who came to church, he thought, you know what? I'm just going to back out. They'll never know. And so Peter's sin here, I think, is not that he did something wrong, it's that he didn't do something right instead of sitting there and eating with his gentile brothers and sisters and actually going through the hassle so maybe even picking a fight so that the legalists realize that in this church things are different than in the jerusalem church peter backed out so peter's problem is fear but the, the reason peter backed out why couldn't peter confront these people why didn't he want to deal with the hassle It's because Peter, although he was a Christian, don't get me wrong, but he didn't really have faith in that moment. He didn't trust Jesus in that moment, but rather he just thought, you know what, I'll just back out of here. And when people do that, when leaders do that, the whole church suffers. Did you notice what happened when Peter backed out? So if, if, if if the greatest apostle of all the apostles is sitting at dinner with you, and you're Jewish, and you see other people come in, and you see him suddenly shut down and back up and stop eating the pork... I could see being caught up in that. And so Paul feels like he has to address this. And poor Paul. I mean, it just sounds like, okay, you know, at first I'm in Jerusalem and i got to confront these guys and I go back to Antioch and I just want to rest. And there's Peter messing things up again. And so Peter's problem is his fear and his hypocrisy, which is leading others astray in the context of this mixed-race church. What is Paul's solution to Peter's problem? Well, spoiler alert, it's the gospel. Notice Paul's, Paul's solution in verse 14. For his, his first part of his solution, he says, but, right, Peter was doing all this stuff, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, if you, like a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So no, I just wondered, the first thing Paul does is he actually points out the problem. He calls Peter out on his problem, that's verse 14. He says, you say one thing, but you're doing another, and that is not in step with the truth of the gospel. And I think the next, even though it's broken in our Bibles, I think what he says next actually goes along with what he says to Peter. And so what does he say to Peter? He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, but by works of the law, no one will be justified. So do you hear, I don't know if you caught it, but three times he says in one verse that we are justified or counted righteous before God, not by works of the law. Three times he says that. Do you think Paul thinks that's important? Not by works of the law. By works of the law, no one will be counted righteous. Not by works of the law. Three times, what are works of the law? On one hand, it, very simply, it's the Ten Commandments, but it's also maybe Jewish ceremonial laws. Martin Luther would say anything that is not grace is law. In other words, anything that drives you is law. So you may, make something up, right? You're, not, you're you are not saved by reading your Bible. You're not saved by going to church. You're not saved by being a good girl or a good boy. You're not saved by any of that. No works of any kind save us, Paul says. Well, then what does save us? Faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you should take great, great encouragement here that Paul is actually confronting Peter because here's the thing. If someone like Peter who walked with Jesus for three years, who, is, who has been restored by Jesus after, after betraying him, who, who had heard everything Jesus said, if Peter can fall, so can you. On the other hand, if Peter needs to be reminded of the gospel, how much more do we need to be reminded of the gospel? If Peter, who did every, who walked with Jesus, Peter, the head of the apostles, needs to be reminded that we are saved not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, how much do you and I need to be constantly reminded that we are saved not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ? That Jesus came and lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. That what is justification, right? We tend to think of justification in terms of forgiveness, Right? That, that, you know, we're not justified or forgiven by works of the law, and that's true, but it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go nearly far enough. I mean, imagine this. Imagine that you had a million dollars in debt with the job that you have right now. Would you be able to pay it off anytime soon? And imagine someone came and just said, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive that debt. Would that make you happy? It, it would make me happy. But that's not justification. That's forgiveness. That million dollar debt is gone. What justification says is, Tommy, I'm going we're gonna not only, we're gonna do this, we're not gonna forgive that million dollar debt, but we've also put a trillion dollars in your bank account. How do you like that? Awesome, <laughs> like that's cool, that's great. That, that, that's, that, in other words, justification isn't saying you're just forgiven, it doesn't take a negative and make it neutral, it takes a negative and makes it positive. And the reason it can make it positive is because Jesus went all the way to the bottom. Jesus took all of our sin. Jesus took the curse of the law. Jesus took all of our guilt, everything, onto himself and went to the cross and crucified it. And it was crucified with him. And in turn, when we have faith, all of his goodness, all of his righteousness is given to us. So right now, if you're a Christian, if you have trusted Jesus, you are no more pleasing to God right now than you ever will be. Because when he looks at you, he smiles because he sees the righteousness of Christ. Do you believe that? You need to be reminded of it every single week. I need to be reminded of it every single week. I'll close with this. Years ago, I was in Ethiopia. And it was with a medical mission team. And with this medical mission team, basically, I was the pastor, and so that meant I sort of felt a little worthless right (laughs) Wasn't helping anybody, and so what they did was I had to go every afternoon and do spiritual counseling with people. They'd give me a translator, and they would—I would go and I would sit in a room with ten or fifteen people, and do spiritual counseling. Now, what is that? I have no idea to this day. And so I would—I remember being the first time I did it. I was sort of like, "So, what do you guys want to talk about?" Translator, blah 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 blah, crickets, nothing. And I'm like, I felt like, have you ever seen stripes when the guy's trying to teach uh, English as a second language? It's like, the do, run, 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 the do, run, run. Repeat after me. It was just like crazy. I didn't know what to do with these people. And finally, the time was up, and I'm like, whew, well, I guess we got to go. And the translator whispered over to me, aren't you going to tell them about eternal life? I said, you mean just share the gospel? That's all you wanted me to do? And she said, tell them about eternal life. And I thought, well... Okay. And I thought fast. And I said, Well, let me ask you this. Because the whole room, by the way, was full. It was either, they were, people were either Muslim or they were uh, Orthodox, capital O church. And I said, So if you all were to die tonight <laughs> and go to heaven, why would God let you in? And 15 people in there, every single one said, Good works. My good works, my good works, my good works, my good works, my good works. now what? And then I said the most brilliant thing I think I've ever said. I said to them, I said tonight, quiet, and I said, like, right, right now, like, what if you died right now? What would happen? Are your works good enough right now? Are you a good enough person right this very moment to stand before God and say, I deserve to get in because of all my goodness? Crickets, no one said anything. Here's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to rely on your own works to be acceptable to God. You rely on the works of another. We rely on the works of Jesus. So, before you leave this place, please consider that. If you're not a Christian, ask yourself, "Am I going to? How would I approach God?" If you are a Christian, ask yourself, "How would I approach God?" Think about that. Let me pray for us, Father. I just pray this morning as we consider this the, this confrontation between Paul and Peter. Um, that even though we don't actually see how Peter responds to this confrontation, um, I pray that our response to it would be faith, either faith for the first time or more faith that added to our faith. Christ, I pray, we pray all these things in your name, amen and amen. At this point in the service, if you're able to stand, I'd ask you please stand with me, and as we uh, will sing the doxology as we prepare to receive God's tithes and offerings. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we bring our tithes and offerings, you would use them.